from my perspective, I, again, I view it as the, the process is an experience with data in itself. So a lot of the research topics I'm thinking about come back to how, how do you bring the data into the workshop in a way that helps the work that you're doing to bring that data to reality really resonate with the data itself. Hey, and welcome back to the What The Tech podcast. Today, Kelsey and I interview Laura Olberg and Wes Willett about their new book, Making With Data, Physical Design and Craft in a Data-Driven World, which is now available at makingwithdata.org. We had a great discussion about the book's main topic, which is explaining some of the ways creators make objects, spaces, and experiences imbued with data. All right, let's see what the tech is going on. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the What the Tech podcast. Uh, I'm Christopher Wu, and I'm here with Kelsey and our guests, Laura Olberg and Wesley Willett. Um, thanks for so, so much for coming on to the podcast, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So just to get started, um, Laura and Wellesley are about to release a new book uh, coming out on December 20th. Um, the book is called Making with Data, Physical Design and Craft in a Data-Driven World. And it talks about some of the ways creators are making objects, spaces, and experiences filled with data. Uh, so I just wanted to start off with maybe an easier question. How did you guys get uh, interested in this specific topic and why write a book about it? Uh, oh man, so I guess I can at least jump in first. So my, I'm a uh, human computer interaction researcher um, in the interactions lab. And so usually when I'm doing my research, I'm thinking about technologies to support creative practice. Um, and so from that perspective, I, I approach data physicalization from the lens of physical making and this particular practice as an extension of physical making that just happens to involve data as and data representation um, as a key part of the design process. And from my perspective, it's really interesting to think about the decisions that people make as they're trying to create these objects, as they work with the extra constraints of working with data, but also thinking about how people will need to understand that data on the other end and how the data actually folds itself into fabrication. So I'm, I'm much more from the fabrication side of the house. Yeah. And then, so for me, uh, so I'm Wes, uh, I'm uh, associate professor also in computer science, also in the interactions lab, but I primarily work in the sort of subfield of data visualization and thinking about how you make better systems for analyzing data, showing data, typically thinking about that in the context of data on screens for analysts, for data journalists, et cetera. And there's been this really interesting movement within the data visualization community over the course of the last 10 years or so, where people have started to think about well, what happens if you go beyond screens, what happens if you start to think about creating physical objects or physical spaces, um, or immersive virtual spaces where you give data more physical reality and integrate it into your environment. And so that notion of data physicalization um, is something that I've been involved in a number of projects on over the course of the last five or six years. And this book was really a nice opportunity for us to try to step beyond just the realm of creating with data in computer science and start to think about many of the different ways that other kinds of artists and designers and other disciplines are doing the same kind of thing, taking data and making it into something real. Okay, yeah, that, that definitely makes complete sense. Laura, if you don't mind me asking, just for anyone who's listening to the podcast and doesn't fully know all these terms we're using, what is fabrication? And what does it mean in the context of 
physical design for data. Oh, fabrication is, when I talk to computer scientists, I describe it as it's a physical rendering process. So instead of taking instructions like code and rendering it on a screen, you're basically taking a, a vision of what you want to create and making it happen. Um, in the context of this book, fabrication, like the notion of fabrication actually takes a range of, of different interpretations. So it's not just sort of your classic digital fabrication that we get all jazzed about. The book also includes handcrafts. So people who are working very manually using analog tools like a pipe bender to make, you know, copper tubing into line charts, for example. So that counts as sort of fabrication as well. There's other examples that are from this book that are less about building the final representation and more about building a system that will produce the representation. So we have examples that are, you know, pulling from robotics to actually create physical actuation systems that will dynamically create a visualization um, physically. Also things like uh, environmental artists, environmental sculptures that are generating a system such that the environment actually does the rendering for you. So for example, it was Charles Sower's Solar Totems, I believe, who is an artist based out of San Francisco, created this system where a lens would slowly descend down a log and the sun would then etch its arc into the log day by day over the course of many, many months. Um, and so he didn't really create the physicalization. The environment did, the sun did, but he's creating the system that allows that process to take place. So in this, for this book, it actually is a wide range of of approaches that people are using to make this data become real. And really, in human-computer interaction, when people talk about fabrication, usually they mean 3D printers and laser cutters. And that's kind of the starting point for most of computer science. Um, a little bit of thinking about this with robotics now, too, which is super cool. But at least for the purposes of this book, we're thinking about fabrication much more broadly. So things like people making clay pots, sculpting with woodworking tools, doing projects that involve people acting out data uh, or having the environment create representations. So trying to go a little bit wider than what you traditionally think of in the context of computer science or even engineering. Yeah, and on that note, are there any projects that you guys have seen that really wanted to make you write this book? Uh you know, clay pots or or other real world objects that represent data. Is there something that really inspired you to make this book? Oh man, uh, so the the book itself are, are a series of stories, um, each from somebody who created a particular piece, and it's really hard to pick between them because we love each and every one of them so much. Um, they each we we curated the set, not necessarily trying to be exhaustive with every single. Um, example that we know of, but more to at least demonstrate the breadth of ways that people are making with data. Um, so it's really hard to pick between them. The ones that, like, if I had to pick a couple, I really enjoy 100% City. So that's an example of the people are the data. So it's th this theater troupe that goes to a city and assembles 100 people that represent, in various ways, represent the city. And then the performance itself is these people responding to a series of questions about, you know, where they're from, what their days are like, what their opinions are, and slowly kind of mirroring back to the place where the performance is happening. What is this city that we live in? That one I, I really enjoy because it is so distant from computer science. But when you think about it, the process of putting together that theater production is not th that different from some of the other 
like crazier things like uh, Zooids, which is another fun example with all these, it's a series of tiny robots that are on a desk that run around and create the, the visualizations that you want physically. And you can also move the robots as a way of, um, for input to actually change the visualization itself. But at the end of the day, they're still kind of resulting in a similar end goal, which is making that data real, making it physical. Well, the 100% the city example is a really cool one too, because what you have is a hundred people on a stage actually walking around and forming little physical charts, right? They'll group together based off of, you know, what their favorite food is or physically walk into a big bar chart that shows the distribution by of people by ages. And so they are really acting out the data and actually are the data in this really deep and fundamental way that's quite cool. And that's really different than just showing that same data on a screen as a dashboard or something like that. And it's the same data, but presented in a way that supports all of these different kinds of engagements with it. That sounds incredibly neat. It seems like you both have stories from like more scientific engineering sides of things as well as creative. I was just curious, how did you come up with these stories or find these people to put into your book? Yeah, so this is, has been a fairly long process, actually. We started thinking about this uh, almost five years ago now uh, as part of a seminar that we both attended at Schloss Dogstuhl in Germany. This is a, a cool retreat in southwestern Germany that brings together computer science researchers for these one-week seminars on a variety of different emerging topics. And so we, along with our co-editors of this book, uh, Samuel Huron and Till Nagel, started to have discussions in the context of that workshop about all of the different examples that we really loved. And from that, we reached out to some of our contacts who were doing work in the space, started with a series of interviews, and then from those identified the 20 or 30 different projects from around the world that we thought were the most interesting and the most diverse and ex inspiring examples of this kind of approach. And then really looked to, to find people who are willing to talk about not just the final piece that they'd created, but about their process. And to think about this book as not necessarily a cookbook, but a kind of behind the scenes view of how people are making with data in all of these really different ways. And then after that, we spent the last two or three years engaging with those 25 or so different um, artists, artists and designers, some of which are actually groups or teams of designers, uh, and getting them to find and or create great images of their process and nice descriptions of their process and the tools and techniques that they use to create the things. And then we've also tried to pair that with introductions from academics who are working in this space and who are thinking about the philosophy behind creating different kinds of physical representations of data. And, and just to add to that, one of the key things here was we needed people who didn't just have the glamour shots of the end product, because really that's, that's just one page for each of these. Yes, here's the final object. The rest of each chapter is dedicated to that process. So the ones that we tried to select for were the ones where those process pictures really helped tell a rich story about how it went from a sketch on a piece of paper or an idea to various prototypes of the thing in process um, or, or you know, working through the details of how it would be made. 
just so that instead of hearing the glossy, here is the end object, isn't it beautiful? You also hear about things that didn't necessarily work out so well or early experiments that validated that, yes, this is a good direction to keep going down. Just to reassure anybody who's reading the book that um, these artifacts don't just pop out of nowhere. It's a longer process of really deeply considering the data, deeply considering what story these people are trying to tell with the data, um, and then navigating some of the material challenges or the fabrication challenges that come with implementing that vision. Well, and, and some of these stories actually end up having lots of dead ends. Uh, there's a really cool piece in here called Loop um, from Kim Sauvé and Stephen Hubin, both of whom are computer science researchers who built these physical displays that could sit in your house that show activity and movement data from an activity tracker like a Fitbit. And they literally have dozens and dozens of different failed designs that they were able to showcase where they explored different kinds of materials, where they thought about different um, ways in which these things could move and different kinds of electronics that, that they could use to actuate them. And so you get to see that whole process. Uh, and then you have other projects where you can start to see just all of the steps that it takes to create something like this. So we have one from uh, an artist named Adrian Siegel who created this really cool cabinet that corresponds to um, snowfall in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. And it's showing snowfall over a whole bunch of years and the size of each one of the drawers in the cabinet corresponds to the volume of snow each year. And you start to realize just how many steps there were in terms of conceptualizing that, taking the data and turning it into these shapes, and then just hours and hours and hours of really painstaking woodworking um, using a variety of different techniques to create the final piece. That sounds really neat. It sounds like a lot of trial and error, a lot of kind of perseverance from these artists and these scientists and engineers which makes me think, I'm sure writing a book is very difficult. I was wondering what some of kind of the biggest challenges were for you guys, um, I guess, amalgamating all of these stories together. Part of the challenge is that because everyone's process is so different, and also we're pulling in people from a really wide variety of different disciplines, thinking about how to tell all of those stories in the context of one book, and in a way where they're kind of comparable to one another was a little bit challenging, because in some of these cases, right, people are, are building an art piece in some cases, people are building these really elaborate technical systems with robots and actuated tabletops um, and things that are, are kind of architectural scale installations. And so finding a way to tell all those stories in a way where those stories kind of felt like a single cohesive book was an interesting challenge and actually took a lot of iteration with some of the authors um, in a way that I think it allowed us to get a deeper understanding of their stories and also surface those stories in the book. Um, but it wasn't necessarily easy because many of these people are coming from different communities with different expectations about how you show your work or how you publish. And one of the one of the goals we had too with the chapters was that each one is coming from the creators from their own voice. So our goal wasn't necessarily to have you know hear these stories and then report back on them, but really to have those people report from their firsthand, from their firsthand perspective, what it was like to try to create these artifacts. And so, yeah, getting getting those different ways of describing at least kind of parallel and on the same page um, was a bit of a challenge. We had sort of a standard template that we use for each chapter to make sure that they're at least covering the same points. But in many cases, the way they talked about it is unique to each of them. And we didn't want to sort of impose our own notion of what 
the design process looks like to dictate to everyone to to fit with that model of how things quote unquote should be. So we tried to have enough of a template to have it be consistent, but still keep enough room for it to be open-ended so people could tell their story as they experienced it for whatever their process happened to look like. So speaking a little bit more about stories, Wes, you mentioned uh, there's an example in the book of like a physical model of mountains with the amount of snow that it received each year or something of that nature. And um, I was just wondering, what does physical data representation mean to both of you guys? Why do you think it is so important to physically represent data as opposed to just seeing it on a computer screen? At least to me, I, mean, I think there are as many different answers to that as there are designers or artists or disciplines. There are a lot of cases where seeing data on a screen is absolutely the most efficient way to do it. And building a physical object, especially one that takes lots of time or lots of iteration, is crazy. Um, so for data analysis work, data journalism even, it's not really obvious that you'd ever want to have these things be physical. But there are lots of cases, if we're thinking about, say, personal data, personal informatics, where actually having representations of data that live in the space around you is really interesting. Being able to see my activity data in a sculpture that sits on top of my desk or on top of my dresser, instead of having to pull open my smartphone and look at it, means that it's just more integrated into my everyday way of living. And thinking about physical sort of data, mementos or art pieces, those can be really interesting because they force you to think about data in a new context or in a new way that you might not have if someone just showed you a chart. And I think more generally for data analysts, to people who are working with data, we are likely in the next couple of decades moving away from systems where we do everything on screen and into a world in which we do a lot more work in mixed reality or even in virtual reality. And there, a lot of the things that you learn from physically representing data in real world 3D spaces actually might have implications. So if I'm going to design a set of charts for me to monitor database, and those are going to be rendered in mixed reality instead of just on a screen, I might actually want to render them in some of the same ways that people are thinking about building physical data-driven objects now. So there's interesting research implications going forward as well. Yeah. And from my side of things, thinking about the nature of fabrication and with data, the, the part of this that really gets me excited is the notion of fabrication in itself is an experience that we have with data. So for example, as Adrian was creating the snow water cabinet, she is spending hundreds and hundreds of hours working on the furniture design, working on the woodworking, and also really deeply considering how the data is going to impact the resulting artifact. So it's not necessarily, you know, you click a button and the data just appears. There is a lot of, of conscious effort that goes into to creating these objects. And so for me, it's, yes, the, the final object is fascinating and deeply personal and a, and a new way of, of thinking about data at, as having a presence in the world. But even going from data to that artifact, that in itself is still a valuable process and reflects deep consideration of of what's underneath um like the another example from the book is anthropocene footprints by mika west which was actually a spin-out project from the interactions lab she was a, a researcher working with the um uh which me she, she was working with the national energy board but now it's, now, now the canada energy regulator yeah so she was working with uh, the canada energy regulator project and she was trying to figure out new interesting ways to represent energy data and 
she went through all of the data, went to thrift stores around Calgary, found mostly textiles, but other materials that she could then use to construct these super fascinating mask-like artifacts. There's three of them, one that represents the past, one that represents sort of the current trajectory, and one that represents a, an alternate future. And the actual data is pretty hidden. You can't necessarily, it's, it's not intended to be a readable object. You don't go towards, you know, this series of objects and think, oh, wow, that value is 30 million. Instead, she's done all of the transformation of the data into the materials and then adapted those materials into the piece. So it's not about reading the object nearly as, it is, as about Mika's process of manually going through the data, becoming very, very, very familiar with that data, and then expressing that familiarity in this kind of triptych of objects that she created. So it's it's not always about the end object. Sometimes it's about the journey to get there, where that experience in itself is is potentially more valuable than the final object. Yeah, definitely. And just speaking on the journey rather than the final object, what are some things that you've learned about either yourself or things you want to keep looking into, into the future in your own research at UFC that you found out through making this book? Um, I think I think I learned that this is fun. Um, we One of the things we did as editors is, was the, the cover of the book. We had the decision of what do we do for the cover of the book. And we decided that we wanted to make a data physicalization of the book for the cover of the book. And we actually have a blog post on our website all about the process of creating that cover. And I think that that design process for ourselves, going, going through after talking to so many people and getting their stories, going through this process again and resulting in something that actually I think is truly beautiful piece. And kind I, I think it's clever, but I'm very biased because it is, is my baby, um, was really, really satisfying. And the satisfaction that not only comes from sort of the academic work, but also the practice of creating the things um, is very satisfying. I mean, I've created some data physicalizations in the past. I think you have two Wes. Um, I've done some data crochet. We've done like data Lego representations as well. There's, there's a certain satisfaction you get just from creating these things. And often it doesn't take as much time or as effort as, as you think. And then sometimes they do take quite a bit of time and effort, like the cover of the book. Um, but in the end, it's well worth it. But that, that cover is sort of fun. Uh, I'd maybe encourage folks to check it out uh, and you can have a look at the cover. The, actually, the website for the book is just makingwithdata.org. And there's a we have a whole blog post where we talk about this. Um, but we actually created a piece that has a bunch of pieces of, of cut and assembled paper. We had actually the work done by a Parisian paper craft artist, which is kind of cool, but there's, it's a whole bunch of stacked pieces of paper that actually show the lengths of the different sections of each of the 24 chapters of the book, all sort of layered on top of one another into this little um, ridgeline or like mountainscape plot. And we actually have a, a couple of physical copies of this that are now sitting in France with one of our co-authors. And then a photo of that sits on the book. And there's even this cool interaction on the the uh, soft cover version of the book where you can actually kind of pull back the cover to see the legend for that piece. Well, because the legend is on the title page. Yeah. Yeah. That's all really interesting and sounds really challenging, but also really rewarding. 
I was wondering, what do you hope happens in the future um, with computer science and data and more of this physical aspect? Do you think it will become more popular? Will we start to see it in academia? Kind of what are your thoughts? Where are we going in the future? Personally, I think that there are a bunch of different ways in which this is relevant. You'll see increasingly people actually using physical assembly and physical manipulation and exercises as a way of teaching uh, simple kinds of data analysis and visualization concepts. So there are a number of us who actually use some basic Lego construction tasks and physical assembly tasks as the ways that we teach some basic visualization concepts now in our classes. And I think that they're really accessible as tools for thinking about how you visually compose these kinds of displays, how you do the encoding of data as visual and physical attributes. Because in a lot of cases, it's as simple as you know, taking a Lego block or taking a physical dot and sort of placing it as opposed to having to write code to do that. Um, there are also just a bunch of cases where they allow you to create more kinds of participatory ways of engaging with data. So there's a number of projects that we show in here where people are actually using these kinds of, of displays to do physical polling in places or allowing people to sort of input and share data in a collective common space. Um, and then I think, like I alluded to before, there's a bunch of ways in which there might be ways of building better tools to support this in the future. So we'll see people building uh, robotic tools that allow you to actually create little dynamic representations of data on your desktop that you can interact with in ways that are maybe a little bit more rich or more visual or more tangible than what you'd see in an on-screen visualization. And then there are lots of implications for that for the kinds of things we design in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years when we start to get into a world that is much more imbued with mixed reality um, and haptic technologies. Yeah, and and from my perspective, I again, I view it as the, the process is an experience with data in itself. So a lot of the research topics I'm thinking about come back to how, how do you bring the data into the workshop in a way that helps the work that you're doing to bring that data to reality really resonate with the data itself. So things like, you know, if you're participating and adding data to a larger installation that's gathering data from a bunch of people, how do you make that, that act of adding data or creating data um, physically tie to this bigger narrative or really make the richness underneath that particular mark or that particular you know piece that you're placing or uh, material that you're cutting come back to the source of the data so that that experience, the fabrication experience itself can become richer and more valuable to the person creating as as part of their understanding of the data. And I guess the other thing to bear in mind is this is not necessarily a a new practice. I think what's really fascinating is that you know, there's tons of historical examples of physical ways of representing data that go back hundreds, if not thousands of years. And you'll often sometimes bump into people who are creating, you know, data, like physical representations of data to this day. So there's a bunch of knitters and crocheters who do temperature blankets, for example, where they will have one line of knitting or one granny square per day of the year to represent you know, what the temperature is like. And so the natural pattern that they get in the final blanket represents the, the pattern of the temperature as it varies throughout the year. You can find tons of examples of these on the internet on Ravelry, which is this giant knitting and crochet community. Um, so it's, it's a practice that we've had for thousands of years. 
it's a practice that's ongoing today. And I feel like the future is, is much more about um, new ways that we can, new fabrication techniques, but also new experiences that we can then build around this practice. There's this cool symmetry to, to the idea that we were making physical representations of information long before we were making visual ones. So a lot of the earliest examples that we have of people recording information are people recording information in clay, um, where people using clay tokens as weights and measures, people recording a little scale models or maps of places as physical objects rather than as written or drawn ones. And we're inherently people who live in a physical world. And so the idea that as we get the tools to do so, we might start to think about representing that information back in the physical world in the future, I think has this really nice alignment and symmetry. Yeah, I love that idea that it's kind of, I guess, an innate human thing that we, we want to see these things physically rather than only express them in terms of, like you said, a drawing or something like that. Along these same lines, I wanted to ask, what do you hope that people who read this book take away from the stories and um, this knowledge? I think the biggest thing that we were hoping to do is to convince people that actually you can do this too, regardless of what background you're coming from or what your skill set is. There are ways of making with data that you might be able to do. And some of them are, are very sort of simple and physical. Some of them are quite technical, but depending on what your skill set is, what the kind of data is you're dealing with, you have many, many different approaches at your disposal for doing this. And I think that understanding that, that you know, this isn't just the purview of people who are doing this as kind of cute handcrafts, or this isn't just something that people who are building complex robotic systems are doing, or people who are doing 3D fabrication, but that actually there are dozens or hundreds or maybe even thousands of different ways of making with data is really important for people who might not have ever considered actually doing this before. Yeah, and I think emphasizing there's there's no one right way to make with data. Um, I think Wes mentioned earlier, it's, it's not a cookbook. This, this is not an instruction manual. It's much more trying to give people a sense of freedom that they actually have in how they choose to, to go about this. And again, it's personal to the skills that you bring to it. It's personal to the data that you care about. But ultimately, it is totally possible to approach this from a bunch of different perspectives and end up with very unique pieces. So there's, it's, we, I kind of hope that it's inspiring to people, but inspiring in a way that doesn't want, make them want to replicate, but makes them look at the world differently and wonder like, hey, how would I take that data set and make it physical? Or what would it be like if I made this data architecture scale? Or what would it be like if I started a project where every day I did this thing and then by the end of a month, I would have an object that was kind of cool at the end? Definitely, that sounds amazing. And on that note, I just wanna ask, are there any ways students at the University of Calgary can either get in touch with you to talk more about this topic or about other topics in data? Or are there any classes that computer science majors can take that will introduce them to the world of physical modeling? So both of us are part of the Bigger Interactions Lab, which is the collection of research groups at the U of C that do a wide variety of different human-computer interaction work. And within that group, there are a, a bunch of us who are actually doing work that's relevant to this. And that includes the two of us, um, but also folks like Rio Suzuki, um, Ahud Sharlin, um, and Aditya Natala, actually, who just joined recently. 
are all doing work that is relevant to the space. Um, and probably the easiest way to think about getting involved in research is to contact really any of those iLab profs um, and start having some conversations. And most of the courses that are offered by uh, profs in the Interactions Lab, that includes um, CBSE uh, 581, 583, um, 584, the visualization and um, robotics and human computer orient interaction oriented classes often have opportunities to engage with some of these topics and opportunities for projects that could have this flavor. Yeah, um, so if you're an undergraduate student, you can do 502 uh, or 503, which is um, sort of an undergraduate sponsored research project. So you would approach a professor, you agree on a, a project you could work on for one term or two terms, um, and then join that class. Um, the other thing I'll throw in there is I teach uh, 599.88, which is tangible, um, tangible and physical human computer interaction. Um, and there I, every year, every time I teach it, I always have a data physicalization assignment, which is very challenging because not only do my students have to figure out how to create a tangible interface, but they have to also fold in the data in some interesting way. And so that, that course definitely very directly does data physicalization, but I believe 583, which is the, the information visualization course also has some uh, data physicalization happy assignments floating in there. Amazing. Those all sound like great opportunities for undergrad students at the University of Calgary. If anyone listening wants to buy your book or know more about it, where can they find the book? And also, if they have questions, are they able to reach out to you? And what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so in terms of, of getting the book, so it was just released as of uh, December 20th. And you can get it a pretty wide variety of places. Um, if you want info about the book directly, you can go to makingwithdata.org and we'll have links to buy the book there. Um, you can also find uh, us at Making With Data uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and the book is actually available. You can get it directly from Routledge, who's the publisher. Um, it's part of their AK Peters visualization series. You also find it on Amazon and through lots of other booksellers. And shout out to, to your uh, local bookstores too. So if you feel like ordering it through one of them, that's even better. Do you have a local bookstore in mind? I like pages at Kensington because they're close-ish to the university. But actually, we're probably going to get it. Uh, we need to request that the UFC bookstore also carries it because there is a clear connection. Amazing. Thank you so much, Laura and Wesley, for coming on the podcast today and sharing a bit about your book. It was really exciting to see kind of some of the things that are happening at that intersection between design and computer science. Are there any other closing statements you'd like the students to know? Yeah, I'd say take a look at our book. And it's interesting to think about the broader role where computer science can play a role um, beyond just the screen. Um, computer science helped all of these people go from data to something physical. Um, in some capacity. So it's it's really an interesting book to look at, to think more broadly about how computer science can have an impact in the world. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure. Hey, listener. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the What the Tech podcast. Thanks again to Laura and Wes for being our guests. Don't forget to check out their book at makingwithdata.org. As well, make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at UFC underscore CPSC and leave a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Have a great rest of your day.